live for another episode on this podcast. Why, hello, uh, of like uh, podcast and family. Um, this is Kieran Rodriguez, aka KRAT7435, on my YouTube. Um, back at it with another great um, episode once again to break down Gervonta uh, Tank Davis knocking out Rolando Roly Romero in the sixth round uh, at the Barclays Center as of last night um, in New York City. Um, yeah, first of all, uh, I just want to say congratulations to Gervonta uh, Davis and congratulations to um, you know, all the other fighters that displayed, you know, like a very, very good fight. Um, it was a good fight. Uh, like, you know, lots of good fights. Uh, definitely going to recap a lot of fights that I have a little bit of decent, decent criticism of. And, uh, yeah, we'll just get right to it, man. Um, like, you know, first of all, like, I just want to say, uh, shout out to... Um, all the, uh, fighters, um, out there that, uh, made good, uh, predictions, you know, on this fight. And shout out to the mighty, mighty, um, LDBC, you know, all the realists, you know, YouTube channels out there. Um, like, you know, people like, uh, people like, um, Ricky Williams, uh, BFTV, um, Kano Loco Sports, G5 Underscore Gabe, um, Contender Boxing Regime. Um, who else? Uh, pl- uh, plenty of, um, plenty of, um, other people out there that have made very, very good breakdowns, uh, talking about this fight. Um, definitely guys like Champside, Knockout Boxing 86 TV, um, just a whole bunch of people. Uh, definitely go check them out. Oh, and also, um, Stormy B-Man. Uh, definitely go check him out on YouTube. He's a, a, um, amazing boxing, a boxing historian. Um, like, uh, people call him, you know, uh, Master Sifu <laughs> or, uh, Sensei. So, yeah, definitely go give him a check out on his YouTube channel. But, yeah, let's break down the topics. Um, I have a lot to say. We're going to talk about the Gervonta card. And then we're going to talk about some boxing news that I've been hearing. And then we're going to finish it up with some Devin Haney versus George Cam- Cambosos uh, fight week. And my final prediction on it. So yeah, let's just break down this card real quick. Uh, this is going to be a very, very interesting card. Um, yeah, like I'm only going to talk about like four fights, or I probably say five or six fights. Yeah. So let's talk about the female fight between Jaika Pavilis defeating Mia Ellis, which was very, very shocking. Um, I actually thought that uh, that this fight was going to be Mia's fight to win, but um. Surprisingly, she actually lost, um, like, you know, in a very, very, uh, controversial, uh, unanimous decision victory, which I found very, very, um, very, very, um, interesting, but, <clears throat> yeah, Jaika Pavlis, uh, don't really know too much about her, she's a Haitian fighter at a port of Prince Haiti, she's a Southpaw, she resides in the city, or, or in New York City, She's five foot five, and she is three five, and one. She has three wins, one one by KO, lost five times in her career, and she had one draw, 
with um, Amanda Pavone back in the past, back in uh, August of 2021. So, I mean, either way, this is a very, very good comeback win for her. Um, she she had recently lost to Summer Lynn back in April of 2022. Uh, she's been very, very active lately. Uh, she 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 had a really, really good, um, you know, um, she had a good uh, majority decision victory over Miranda Reyes, who was um, undefeated. Uh, she's uh, she's a very very good fighter. She's five one and one. She has five wins, five wins, one loss, and one draw. She has three three of those wins coming by way of knockout. Um, she's a decent fighter, not the best fighter in the world, but she's definitely just you know keeping herself back in the mix to stay active and be you know, on her grind, um, she's definitely a decent, you know, up-and-coming rookie, and same thing with, uh, Jaika, like, I don't really know too much about her, but, um, just by looking at, you know, uh, some of the fights, fights that she's been in, she, like, you know, she has skills, she, she, she's definitely upgrading her talent skill level by a fight-by-fight -fight basis, and, and I think that's a good thing about her, because, you know, people like that usually end up you know, sneaking into your matchmaking, um, like, you know, like, uh, like, like matchmaking, um, progression, and then, like, you know, you could potentially be beat by those types of people, but as for Mia, uh, she really didn't have that much of a layoff, um, either, she, she's been out the ring since February of, uh, 26, like, yeah, since February 26 of, of, of uh, 2022, she, she had a first round TKO victory over Tia Sutton. Uh, she was like a 0-1-1 fighter at the time, but uh, nothing really special out of her. She's really not that good, but obviously that's more of just like a stay busy type of fight. So yeah, Mia, she did her thing. So I guess with this girl, you know, she gave her she gave her some problems, and Mia, she you know surprisingly lost, and I thought. Honestly, based off of this fight, I thought Mia was going to do her thing and, you know, actually give, uh, like, you know, give her opponent, you know, the business, but I guess surprisingly she, you know, she lost, so, I mean, it's really not the end of the world. Mia, she's 22 years old and her opponent's 24, and the biggest thing that I hate about boxing is that a lot of people have this weird sin in the sport of boxing where, or... I want to say sin. They have this weird religious concept to say that you just have to keep winning in boxing. And if you lose as an undefeated fighter, that means that it's the end of the world for you, your career is over, you're not that good anymore, and blah, 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 blah. How many times have we heard that and we've seen all the greatest fighters come right back and, 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 and just keep racking up more wins to the point where they basically look unbeatable to the point where every loss actually makes them better. Like, I'll just use guys like, you know, Roberto Duran, one of the greatest fighters ever to live within that current generation or within that past generation, and look at all the great battles that we can talk about forever. That's basically what I'm saying. Like, that's why, like, you know, like, I just hate it for like, the men's side People, people really take it take it so personal to the point where, nah, man, you know, like we can't just be supporting fighters that don't have good records. But you know, like if that fighter ends up beating a undefeated fighter, that means that that undefeated fighter was never that good to begin with. And it's like, 
That's obviously not like uh, that's obviously not true because the undefeated fighter can just come back from the loss, and regardless of, of how old they of like like how old they are, it's based off of how much confidence do they have coming back to to that fight. Depending on how they how they lost that fight, whether they got knocked out or lost to a decision, that's based off of the fighter's mental fortitude to return back to the ring. And have that you know same drive as they once did when they were um, undefeated. So that's really like the biggest issue in boxing. A lot of people are so mentally, um, like you know, they're so mentally uh, blind and emotionally twisted to think that being undefeated means that you have to be an unbeatable monster that nobody can't beat you one day and. I just find that to be stupid because all the greats have lost and look at their of like on look at their records and resumes. They they have, you know, returned in much more dangerous fashion and they've done great things to the point where their losses don't even matter. They're just credible, notable names at that point where they stem from those losses and then they start rising in better skill set. Like you know, um, as they progress their a career further so that's just how i see it you know obviously some people that may listen to this will disagree because they say that to say well every time that you lose you end up you know missing out on a big payday in boxing to which that is true but at the end of the day if you are constantly facing tough opposition and you are getting good wins here and there that actually doesn't matter because your name will start to grow from those losses or from those big marquee victories and then you'll end up making more money out outside of what the sport so i just say keep marketing yourself by facing all the tougher names so yeah either way mia she lost uh she wasn't she wasn't able to get the job done but i definitely like her as a fighter she is a tank uh um i want to say that she is currently uh promoted by gervonta davis uh, promotions. Uh, I think I think that's what I hear, but I'm not too sure um, about that. But um, either way, like I'm actually like you know happy that uh, she's uh, moving in the right direction. She's not taking any um, easy roads. She's uh, definitely a highly skilled, uh, developing young fighter, and I definitely like what she does. Um, she definitely has. A very very good ceiling in the 135 pound division, in which uh, that will be the same going for Jaika because Jaika, she's definitely um, she's definitely a beast herself too, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what she could do in the uh, near future. So, yeah, let's talk about uh, the other fight um, with uh, Mr. Jaleel Hackett knocking out Jose Belozo. In, in which it like um it, it really wasn't a uh teak like um um it really wasn't a a knockout victory um it was just a referee stoppage which I don't really like those type of stoppages but either way uh Jaleel did his thing um he made the fight look really really easy to the point where he was just displaying high level boxing you know fundamentals um I actually like how how he's being moved because obviously, uh, from from what I hear, he's a Mayweather Promotions fighter, and he was uh, he was signed with Mayweather Promotions since 
uh, I believe, last year? Yeah, yeah, like late 2020 leading into early 2021. So, yeah, he's only been a pro for like almost two years. Um, yeah, so either way, he's a highly skilled developing uh, young talent. Um, he is a orthodox. He's at a Washington, D.C., 5'11". Uh, don't know too much about his arm reach. I want to say it's in like the 70s, somewhere around there. He has a high, you know, physical um, base um, attributes based off of how he's built. So um, he's a very, very big fighter for 147, if I'm not mistaken. So he's definitely there. He's definitely like getting better. Uh, the only thing is, is just that this is his, like, like, uh, uh, that was his first, um, undefeated fighter that he had faced, um, Jose Belozo, not that good of a fighter himself either, he's kind of fought no names, yeah, he's fought guys that we haven't even heard of, so, either way, um, you know, this is a good, you know, uh, undefeated fighter test to put uh, Jaleel's name out there more, for him to put himself, you know, up there in, in the upper echelon one day. So I definitely like that out of him. He's a highly, hi highly, highly dedicated fighter. Um, he is a very, very good, um, you know, uh, how should I say, he's a very, very good collectively minded person. Um, he doesn't let distractions bother him. He's only 19 years old, and he trains like as if he's a world champion already. Um, has a very, very good background with the Mayweather gym with whom he's with whom he's been training with. Um, I'm not too sure of who of who he's been sparring with, but from what I know, he's been in there with all the top dogs. So. Uh, that's what I like out of like like you know Mayweather gym fighters. Um, a lot of them have uh, have um, a lot of growth to um, work on, but the level of competition that they be running into, especially out in the Vegas area, uh, that's just pure high level like you know opposition. So I just like that for him, and I think that's what's going to be his uh, future to, you know, basically keep growing, and then eventually we're going to see him, you know, compete at a world title level one day, to which uh, I think he would definitely be ready within a couple years. But uh, the process is obviously slow, and I'm not going to be these type of guys to try to hype up fighters that I personally like. So I just keep everything raw and keep everything honest to say that, you know, just keep on working, keep just keep on doing what like you know what you normally do and, and keep stacking up victories you know to the point where you already know where your ceiling will be so i think jaleel he's in a good spot but i think honestly like if the egoism gets too bad over over in the vegas area to which i don't think that's where he actually trains at you know all the time you know he goes to other gyms nationwide but uh, I don't know too much about DC fighters as far as like what they do out there, but I think for what he does right now, I think it's better to, to have him train in a good isolated area, similar to what Gervonta does, where he trains down in Florida, and then he can get you know all the right sparring and all the right training down there for him to just be 100%, you know, built 
like you know built for fight for uh fighting shape so either way um i like him you know he doesn't have that many holes um he just needs to work on his defense uh work on the footwork a bit work uh of like um, um work on the footwork a bit more and just uh keep your keep yourself defensively responsible by knowing like uh, knowing where to place your jabs at the right spot for countering but either way that's all you know being being consistently worked on every time he goes back into a fight um he doesn't really get hit that like you know that much um he definitely is growing and he's learning on the job so i don't really think uh jaleel's going to have too much of a you know hard problem trying to adjust with different type of like you know different types of styles because i think uh you know but the biggest players you know at the 147 pound division they're gonna end up leaving and i think uh you know guys like him will eventually come into the mix and there's obviously plenty of plenty of um other talent that that i can easily name to you right now based off of box rec but you know, you have so many names, you know, you have so many guys that we don't even know who they are. Um, I mean, personally, like my favorite, you know, up and coming rookie fighters in the welterweight division would be guys like, you know, Delonte Tiger Johnson. He like, you know, he's a beast. Um, I like uh, Giovanni Estella, if I am. Yeah, like if I'm not mistaken, um, he's a Puerto Rican fighter out of Florida very very good like you know good high like like highly skilled fighter um i would mostly rate him as a boxer puncher but has very very good um pure boxing skills you know for where he's at um in the uh division um like you know obviously guys like um rashad Mahdi, he's a beast himself too um i mean i don't I don't really know too many of what like, the other foreign fighters, but you know, obviously, like the names like you know Florian Marku and all those guys. I don't, I don't really think so high off of those European fighters as much. But I kind of just think like based off of what like, the political stratosphere of the 147 pound division, there's really nobody that I could think of that's really going to like like uh, that's really going to come in and actually do damage but based off of the american rankings off of box rec the only names that i could think of that's probably going to bring some damage would be i don't even know man like i've heard guys like kevin david hernandez i don't even know too much about him but i i hear he's a texas fighter and some of them texas fighters know how to fight very very well and texas athletes out like you know um um as a whole are just like you know heavily skilled fighters to the point where you like you know their ceiling goes up pretty high um like you know obviously other guys like um uh i don't even know honestly like i don't really know too much about these um like you know up and coming you know young american like uh like on um, welterweight fighters but uh honestly to me like it kind of feels like that the welterweight division for american talent is super stacked and i think eventually you know um you're gonna see it you know come like uh come due time as uh progression gets better for like you know for the fighters to just keep on fighting and 
just keep building up, like, uh, keep building up your um, resume as a fighter. So, I think either way, you know, like, you're going to see all the big names. Um, another good young up-and-coming rookie fighter that you guys should definitely take a look at would be the fighter out of um, Albany, New York. His name is uh, Kassir Mazi Goldston. Um, I believe he fights at the welterweight division, if I'm not mistaken. But if he is still fighting in that division, please go please go check him out. And also check out Shenard Bunch and check out Paul Kroll. Check out Janelson Figueroa Boca Chica, in which I've mentioned him and Shenard like you know in a YouTube video to which I thought Shenard had beat him in a like uh, um um in a draw that was um ruled like uh, between them. Um, in a recent fight that they had against um, one another. But either way, that's pretty much it for that uh, particular topic. But definitely give those guys a follow and check out their names because they're definitely going up there in the uh, division. And i definitely like to see them fight um, um, again sometime in the future. But as far as Jaleel Hackett... Great victory. Keep on building. And I think eventually um, you're going to see him at the world title stage within a couple years. He's 19 years old. And um, what I like out of these fighters that come into the pros young and early is that obviously the level of competition is not good. But they're just, like, you know, obviously fighting whoever just to gain experience. So that's a good symbol to show that he, that Jaleel is basically going through you know, any, like, you know, um, how should I say, he's going through any route just to keep himself notable, you know, within the boxing, um, social circles, and I think eventually you're gonna just hear his name blow up more, because he's keeping himself active, and, and people know who he is as a fighter, so, uh, that's what I like out of him, and I'm not too sure about his promotional statuses, People say that he is signed to Mayweather Promotions, so I'm not too sure what's going to happen with Mayweather Promotions as a whole. But if that's what Floyd, like, um, if that's what Floyd Mayweather and Leonard Ellaby, um, is uh, planning on doing to invest in a new fighter like Jaleel Hackett, then I don't mind it. But at the end of the day, Jaleel Hackett, he needs to be careful with his uh, financial decisions on who he's going to put his trust um, into. And I think eventually we're going to start seeing him grow more. It's just that, you know, like we just have to, like, you know, understand the business of boxing doesn't work like like a supremely fair. So um, hopefully he is moving himself correctly in the right direction so that way he can make the most money for himself and for his uh, future family heading down the road. So congratulations to Julio Major Hackett. Uh, very, very good fighter out of the uh, uh, um, Washington, D.C. Um, area. So, yeah, let's move forward with the next fight. Uh, we have Mr. Uh, Luis Arias, who got a 10-round unanimous decision victory over Jimmy Williams. Um, I wasn't really too surprised with this fight. Uh, Luis Arias, he's not like the type of dude that I'm not really super sold on. Just simply because, like, yeah, you know, you're good. You know, you had, like, your time where you were with Mayweather Promotions, and then I guess somewhere out of nowhere he got uh, cut off by them. 
I don't know what happened, but I guess um, he wasn't able to do what he was supposed to do. But, I mean, as far as his progression as a fighter, um, I definitely do respect him, uh, you know, keeping himself, like, you know, in the mix. Um, his uh, notable victory obviously came from uh, Jared Hurd. Um, he did a very good job beating him. Um, he beat him in a split decision uh, victory in which uh, that fight was very, very controversial. But either way, very good fight. Uh, definitely uh, like to see Jared Hurd back, back in the mix very, very soon. But on top of that, I think uh, Luis Arias, based off of what he wants to do for the middleweight or I think for, for what, the super... Uh, the Super Welterweight Division? Yeah, the Super Welterweight Division. Um, he says he wants uh, Tony Harrison next uh, to to be his next potential opponent. For those of you that don't know who Tony Harrison is, he, he was a former WBC world champion in which he lost to the current um, unified undisputed world champion, Jermel Charlo, um, in his uh, rematch that he had in the past in which he got uh, knocked out in the eleventh round, in which uh, that was a that was a um, um, amazing fight and like you know supreme victory for Tony or uh, that was a supreme victory for Jamel Charlo defeating Tony Harrison. But then after that, Tony Harrison he came back like like you know after being out of the ring from from twenty nineteen of December twenty first leading on to 2021, in which that was uh, during COVID, he had fought Brian Perella, in which his mindset was not completely, you know, straight at that point because he lost his father. And um, I, I forgot what his name is, but uh, basically after that, um, he wasn't really able to keep himself back back in the mix properly. So he took a year off after he had a split decision draw with Brian Perella. And he fought Sergio Garcia, the same comment opponent that had recently fought Sebastian Fandora back in uh, December of uh, 2021. And surprisingly, uh, he hasn't, well, um, he actually came back to the ring, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, back in April 9th of 2022. So... I mean, either way, like, like Sergio Garcia, he's been doing his thing. Uh, you know, like, I don't really know where he goes from there. But he did lose to Tony Harrison, in which Tony Harrison dominated him all 10 rounds. And uh, that was a good fight. You know, Tony Harrison did what he was supposed to do. And he put on a good masterclass, you know, performance. But, yeah, Tony Harrison, um, he's definitely been on the, high, like, high-skilled radar. And I think... Um, you know, him fighting Luis Arias would be a good fight for him to stay busy so he can get hit, get himself a shot to fight for, you know, the championship belts or one of the championship belts for for Jamel Charlo's, you know, undisputed, you know, reign. But I don't see Jamel Charlo staying at 154. Jamel Charlo said after he beat Brian Castaño in their highly anticipated rematch that He's planning on moving up to 160, so that's probably going to be the next step for him. And I don't see Brian Castaño ever returning back to 154. I mean, if he still wants to go go 
campaign at 154, go for it. But I think Jamal Charlo, he's going to, you know, move up to 160. And I think Brian Castano, he's going to move up to 160 because it looks like he didn't really train that that properly to make 154. And he did mention that, you know, it's coming to a point where he's struggling to make weight. So I don't, like, I personally don't see Brian Castano. <coughs> like uh, Brian Casano staying at 154 for that much um, longer. Um, I think he's better at 160 anyway, and 160 will be like a better fight down the road potentially with uh, Jamel Charlo if they want to fight <laughs> in a third fight, but I don't think that fight's ever going to happen. And I mean, Jamal Charlo, he said that he's going to plan to move up to 168 after he beats uh, or after he fights... Um, uh, Majay Suleki, so that's going to be very interesting to see what uh, Jamal Charlo does and see where the future holds for him. But as far as Luis Arias Cuba or Luis Cuba Arias, I think that fight between him and Tony Harrison should happen because the winner of that fight can move forward to face maybe the winner between maybe Sebastian Fondora and... Uh, like, like I don't even know who's going to be ranked under Sebastian Fondora in the WBC, but whoever is ranked under him, you like, you know, obviously, like, 154 is going to be fought for vacant belts. So whoever is ranked number one for each and every single, you know, uh, like, you know, sanctioned body ranking, that's basically what's going to happen. You know, 154 is basically just going to be fought for vacant titles and then whoever's going to be uni like whoever's going to be unifying that division it, like that's basically what's going to happen and from the looks of it it, it seems like guys like Sebastian Fondora he's, he's going to get the WBC belt uh first you know obviously because he'll be next in line to get the belt and then Tim Zhu he's going to fight for the WBO and then Israel Madrima, from what I hear, he's going to be fighting for the WBA. And then for the IBF, uh, let me look at the IBF 154 rankings. Um, if I'm not mistaken, for the IBF, as of recently, in the junior uh, middleweight division, uh, yeah. Background Murtazaliev, he's ranked number one in, in the IBF. So background Murtazaliev, from from what we heard back in the past, he was supposed to fight Jamel Charlo in a title, a title um, like a title mandatory position, to which uh, Jamel Charlo was supposed to was supposed to defend his belt for that, or defend all uh, all of his belts for that. And, you know, that's, like, you know, that was supposed to be, like, the plan. But then, obviously, that was overruled through, you know, um, I guess all the sanctioned bodies that came together to have the rematch for Undisputed. So, yeah, either way, like, I mean, 154 is going to be a very, very interesting war of title contention. Because, don't forget, uh, Char Charles Conwell, he's ranked in the IBF. He's ranked number five. And I think he's ranked like number six or seven in the WBA. And I'm not too sure about the WBO and the WBC, but just uh, keep 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 your eyes peeled on Charles Conwell. Because Mr. Bad News Conwell out of that uh, Cleveland, Ohio, if I'm not mistaken, um, he's a bad boy and he's uh, 
nightmarish uh, style matchup for a lot of guys uh, that are thinking that they're going to, you know, get their opportunity <laughs> uh, to win a belt. But I don't really see, uh, like, a lot of guys beating Charles Conwell. But if you guys want to check out some new up-and-coming, you know, um, like, you know, talented competition from the American stable in boxing, uh, Char Charles Bad News Conwell is definitely that guy to make a lot of people shocked and you know, surprised. So I think he's going to take over 154. Um, it's not going to be easy, but that's going to be a really, really good potential, you know, round robin of all the best matchups. Definitely premiering him in those big fights. So definitely check check him out. He, he is definitely taking over 154. And I think that's going to be a very, very in, like um, interest, interesting war of uh, fights, but either way, uh, Luis Cuba Arias, he did his thing, uh, he definitely had a bit of struggles with Jimmy Williams, and I thought Jimmy Williams did his thing, but Jimmy, he was never that good to begin with, and he didn't really have, like, enough left in the tank, you know, stamina-wise to really give Luis, uh, a, like, you know, any problems, so I really thought Jimmy just kind of just made himself look really just, like, you know, below average, you know, he's not, like, the greatest fighter out there, but, you know, people try to, like, make these, like, journeyman guys, like, good, and, and it's, like, at the end of the day, like, when you look at their losses to, to, to who they fought, like, Jimmy, Jimmy Williams got knocked out by Brandon Lee, who had recently fought Zachary Ochoa at 140, um, Brandon Lee knocked him out back in 2020, that was two years ago. And then, leading up to now, uh, prior to his fight with Luis Arias, he lost a split decision to Greg Vendetti, the same Greg, the, the same person that lost to Aris Landy Lara, in which Lara dominated him, and then Michael Soro knocked him out back in 2018. So, I mean, these are just like tomato can fighters that I don't really like, like uh, watching too much because it's like. You know, you can obviously tell that their skill set and their skill levels are just not that good. And they try to, like, hype up these fighters with poor win-loss ratios to say, like, oh, well, these guys, like, you know, these guys are good for all these young fighters, you know, to face. And I'm like, nah, dude, it's not good. You know, that's why matchmaking and boxing is so messed up because, you know, you get guys like Yuriokas Gamboa getting knocked out by Isaac Pitbull Cruz, and it's like, that's not funny to watch and see, you know? Like, obviously, if we know that a 35-something-year-old a fighter like Jimmy Williams should not be in the ring with some young gun that's, like, you know, that's obviously willing to go in there and knock you out, it's like, why put him in there? And, you know, like, uh, potentially get him damaged more to the point where he's not going to, to end up getting more paydays because it's like, you're, like, obviously setting those guys up for failure to the point where you know that their skill set isn't good to fight them. But if they're still willing to fight them and get knocked out for a payday or for a paycheck, it's like, that's just poor business and that's poor marketing. Because it's like, you know, at least pay somebody good money if they're going to get knocked out by some up-and-coming, you know, rising prodigy. But that's just my viewpoint on that, but... Either way, Luis did his thing. That was a decent fight. So, you know, on to the next one.
Now let's get with the main card. We're obviously gonna uh, look, um, we're obviously gonna skim through this, you know, very quickly. But uh, Luis Melendez, uh, El Chucho, the Puerto Rican fighter that had a majority decision loss to Eduardo Ramirez, the Mexican fighter, uh, at a hundred and thirty pounds in the super featherweight division. Uh, see, my biggest problem with this fight was that uh, you know, um, for Eduardo. You know, people call him Zerdito. And, uh, you know, that the biggest problem in this fight was that um, Eduardo Ramirez, no one really knew who he was and no one really cared to know who he was until he, like, beat, like, a guy like Miguel Mariaga in which he was never to be that good himself either because Mariaga, if I'm not mistaken, he's never won any titles and... He's fought four world titles, but he hasn't won any world title, if I'm not mistaken, because he's lost basically every single big fight that you could think of. So, either way, uh, Miguel Mariaga, he is a good journeyman, you know, level gatekeeper type of fighter. So, I don't really rate him too high. I mean, he's decent to say the least, but at the end of the day, like, that's a decent victory for Eduardo, but Eduardo, he wasn't really ever to be put on the big stage that big. And I think, honestly, that the reason why people really brought it to that level was mainly because um, they thought, you know, Eduardo was going to be like this neg like you know, next big Mexican star for, you know, for the 130-pound division, but... I'm not really sold on him, and the reason why it is mainly because in this fight between him and uh, Luis Melendez was that uh, Luis Melendez, he had the style to beat him. Uh, Melendez was outboxing him very, very supremely good to the point where uh, Zerdito or Eduardo Ramirez, he wasn't able to get his shots off um, early game and mid game, and I think heading into the late game, it just turned into like a really, really you know, just, I don't know, like, to, like, it went into these, like, weird random skirmishes, you know, um, in the pocket where Luis, he was, like, not letting those, uh, you know, uh, demanding shots to impress uh, the judges more, to make himself more, um, how should I say, successful in, you know, dominating the fight, because, um, he probably had thought he, he, he was doing enough to, you know, take out, um, take, take down Eduardo more, you know, to his own game, but, um, Eduardo, he, um, he missed a lot of shots, and most of his punches that he landed were, like, were either to the body, or they were just wild looping shots to the point where he wasn't really landing much, he was only landing semi-flush to the point where Luis wasn't really, you know, keeping the fight to, to his style, and, I think it was mainly due to the body punches that were just slowing him down, but Luis did his thing. He definitely came to fight, but um, I think it was just like the little things that mattered to, you know, just uh, keep the judges, you know, uh, satisfied to the point where, you know, the judges could have given him the nod, but I definitely thought he won this fight. Um, obviously, the judging in New York is very, very corrupt, and... Uh, you know, surprisingly, you have to do very, very well to impress judges to give you a decision. But I think either way, this is a better loss 
to have uh, to have um, Luis understand his uh, mistakes, to know what he has to do. Um, he's not a bad fighter. He's a very, very good fighter. Go check him out. Um, some people want to say that he got a gifted decision with a previous fighter by the name of Thomas um, Thomas Mattis or Thomas um, Matisse or or or, or uh, Mattis. Uh, that's uh, his uh, name, but that was on a top rank card. Uh, I forgot what card that was on, but um, that fight by itself, um, he did a good job. You know, in that fight, um, it really wasn't too much of a well. How should I say? It wasn't really a gifted, 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 gifted decision by like you know by like you know by um its own you know uh like uh, by by its own uh um accreditation because uh, the fight itself was a close fight but Luis looked to be like the more sharper fighter making Thomas miss uh, miss a lot of his shots. And knowing that fight was an eight-rounder, um, Thomas uh, Mattis, he's not really that good of a fighter of his own because, you know, the thing with him is just that he's not really that big of a, how should I say, he's not that big of a um, early game starter to, to keep himself at bay to win a fight to a decision. And I think the biggest problem with him is this that when he is not being active enough in a fight that's where the judging will basically be basically be swayed um against you to the point where Luis basically did like you know um he did what he had to do to win see now some people will say well you know Luis Melendez he was never that good blah 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 because most of his most of his well well, basically every single uh, one of his uh, like uh, wins, uh, most of them came from Colombia, to which he's just been you know knocking dudes out and just and, and just blowing them out. And obviously, like the thing is, is that he's never fought in America leading up to these two back-to-back fights with um, with uh, Thomas and um, Eduardo Ramirez. But uh, my biggest like, you know, criticism towards this is that he was supposed to fight Rene Giron. For those of you that don't know, he, he he was supposed to fight him. But then what happened with this fight, from from what he told me, because I speak with um, Luis Melendez, uh, um, Rene Giron, he basically came in overweight. And, you know, but the fight itself was supposed to be at, I think, like a catchweight, if I'm not mistaken. But... Yeah, um, Rene Giron, he just basically just came into this fight overweight, and he didn't really do much to, like, you know, to actually, um, like, uh, to actually, you know, try to cut down and actually, like, fight Luis, you know, to the contracted weight, and, uh, I guess ever since then, like, that's basically what led him to face, um, up against, um, um, Elias, um, Arujo, if I'm not mistaken, he's like some dude to which I think he's like American, but I think he's Mexican, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wait, actually, no, um, his name was Giovanni Cabrera. Yeah, yeah, Giovanni Cabrera. I'm sorry, but yeah, that's where he had his um, last minute um, replacement with uh, Giovanni Cabrera because I think 
he was supposed to fight some other dude that that uh, wasn't able to make it to the fight. So he ended up facing uh, Rene Giron, in which um, him and Luisa Melendez's fight got canceled. So Luis, he wasn't able to return back to the ring leading up to uh, November, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, like, you know, Luis Melendez, he, like, um, um, he wasn't really, how should I say, um, he wasn't picking and choosing his opponents. You know, obviously, matchmaking in boxing is very, very difficult to get, and uh, not a lot of people um, understand that because... The biggest problem is that if you are not a known fighter and people don't know who you are, then you need to get fights, you know, wherever you can get them. So, you know, that's really the biggest issue <clears throat> in the sport of boxing because boxing is not centralized to a marketized, you know, position where you can just get fights and you're able to fight in a properly ranked system where you're able to be at that level to be known quicker. So I don't really blame his uh, record being for what it was, but based off of his skill level, he's actually a very, very good fighter. So, I mean, it's not like uh, Luis Melendez. He's just like a, like a overhyped fighter. No, he's a very, very good fighter and... Uh, um, Y'all should definitely uh, check him out because um, just because he's been blowing dudes out that uh, we haven't really heard of, in which um, uh, my bad he um, um, he wasn't fighting all of his fights in uh, Colombia. He actually fought a good number of his or a, a good portion of his um, early career fights in America, and then he went to like other countries like Dominican Republic and then Colombia. And then back to the States for Thomas uh, Mattis and then Eduardo um, Ramirez. But um, either way, like, I mean, uh, Luis Melendez, he's a damn good fighter. Um, his skills prove it. And, I mean, he's ranked 58 um, um, out of the worldwide rankings on BoxRec. And he's, like, um, um, he's a very, very skilled fighter. Um, I, I, I think honestly, like his ceilings really going to get up there higher because knowing that he did lose to Eduardo Ramirez to which, uh, the winner of this fight was supposed to be matched up next in line to fight for the WBC title eliminator to become the mandatory for Shakur Stevenson's, uh, WBC title that he had recently won, won over Oscar Valdez. Um, um, Eduardo Ramirez will now have to fight. Um, Oshaki Foster, for those of you that don't know, um, Oshaki Foster, he's a very, very good fighter, and he's been number one in the WBC for quite a long time, and he's definitely edging to get his opportunity right now, because, uh, he's been blowing dudes out pretty, pretty easily, but obviously, uh, uh there's been a lot of weird controversy with some of his fights because some dudes have just been not really giving him, you know, like the proper opportunity to do what do what he needs to do. And uh sadly like like um Oshaki Foster, he's just been on like, the worser end of just not getting his opportunity sooner. And I think it's simply due to the fact that 
he's going the WBC route or a WBC route in which that's like the hardest route for you to get a world title versus like going, you know, um, any other world title belt uh, direction uh, that might be a bit more different. But either way, um, um, Oshaki Foster, he will be facing um, Eduardo Ramirez and the winner of that fight will finally become the mandatory, quote-unquote, to Shakur Stevenson. So hopefully we get to see that very, very soon. I think uh, you're probably going to see that by summertime, or I'd probably say by the fall. You know, whoever will, you know, have that fight set up between both of those guys, uh, yeah, uh, that's going to be a very, very um, interesting fight. Um, I think Oshaki Foster, he's going to defeat Eduardo Ramirez, and I think um, Eduardo Ramirez, uh, based off of how he's shown his uh, deficiencies to uh, Luis Melendez, a, uh, I would say more um, he's more of like a pure boxer type of fighter, um, even though he's not at the level to Oshaki Foster's you know, skill set. But just by looking at that fight, I think that fight will end up becoming a much worse version of that fight where Oshaki Foster will present a lot more problems to um, Eduardo. And then on top of that, his height and, his height and reach advantages over um, Eduardo Ramirez is going to end up getting him stopped and getting him outboxed very, very terribly to the point where Eduardo, he doesn't have any answers to um, Oshaki's um, boxing or high-level boxing ring IQ. So I think either way, uh, we already know what's going to happen. Um, I think I think Shakur Stevenson, he obviously wants to get undisputed, but I think that the biggest or one of the biggest fights in the super featherweight division, um, it's going to be Shakur Stevenson versus um, Oshaki Foster. Uh, mark my words on that. That's going to be a very very big fight. Um, even though that we haven't really seen, you know, like um, a lot of guys really scrap it up lately, but. I won't be surprised if the 130-pound division gets gets uh, very very hot, and I think that's what's going to happen because there's because uh, there's like a lot of guys that we haven't heard of just coming coming out of what the blue beating dudes up, and I think that's what's just going to happen. It's just, like um it's going to be a crazy gauntlet of just high-level competition just coming out of nowhere, uh pulling off major upsets and. And, and really, really good, high like, like highly decorated fights. So, yeah, let's move forward with that. Uh, like, a shout-out to Luis uh, Melendez. He did a sing, man. Um, unfortunately, um, he lost to Eduardo. Um, I would definitely like to see that fight be ran back sometime, sometime in the future. But I think Luis Melendez, um, you're going to hear his name a lot more uh, sooner than later. So I think this loss will make him stronger and his uh his uh redemption coming into the future he's um he's just going to be a lot closer to the world title stage uh before we know it um but yeah um let's move forward with uh the co-main event real quick Arasandi Lara he knocked out Gary O'Sullivan Gary Spike O'Sullivan um in a eighth round uh straight left KO victory or TKO, um, however y'all want to call it. Um, he beat Gary pretty bad. Gary wasn't really too much of a good fighter to begin with. Um, he had his moments here and there where he made the fight competitive, but it just came to a point where 
Gary, he um, he made himself look really, really bad. And he just had no business being in there with the older, much more uh, educated Lara that we haven't really seen before. Um, Lara, he's more of a pure boxer. We already know how he's able to, you know, uh, prioritize himself in, um, in his fights. But the fact that he dominated Gary in a way where he's not able to move as fast as he once was, but he was able to sit down on his punches and counter parry a lot of Gary's shots and just have great punch placement and you know very very good inside boxing ability to the point where he made himself very very um you know um educated and he calculated those shots very very well so uh tremendous victory for Aris Landy Lara um I definitely you know like appreciated like you know watching him fight but I think uh his ceiling at the middleweight division is really not that high. Um, obviously, you know, like Triple G, he's going to end up facing Canelo in Canelo's uh, super middleweight return, if I'm not mistaken, back, uh, heading into September. So I'm not too sure what's going to happen. I think uh, Triple G is going to end up vacating, and hopefully he does because... Arislan Alara, he um, he deserves to get his opportunities, and he should end up just you know um, like um, uh, um, unifying the uh, titles. I think uh, you know like it's already time to see you know these guys just unify and get the division cleaned up, and then let all the young talent you know fight it out, and eventually it's just going to end up becoming like a major brawl. Um, I, I I I personally think that's how things should be and I think uh, that's how everything should be worked out for the middleweight division but uh, sadly nobody's really fighting each other to prove themselves who they are and I just find that very very weird because uh, not a lot of guys are really putting themselves in, um, in position to be at that level so uh, I think honestly man um, I think it's time for Lara to hang it up but um, I understand what he wants to do. Um, he wants to get um, he wants to get one last run, and I think uh, you know the time is now. You know he um, he needs to get you know the most money he can, and uh, you know like if he win loses or draws, I think um, it's a very very good career for Arislan Elada. Uh, Lara, he's never been stopped. Um, he's been dropped. A couple times in his uh, career, uh, that by uh, Jared Hurd, and then I think um, he was down by <laughs> Alfredo Angulo. I um, I remember that back in 2013, and uh, yeah, I mean he hasn't really been put down by that many people, but his only three losses came to obviously Canelo Alvarez in a very controversial split decision loss, and then. Jared Hurd, and then the other guy was uh, Paul Williams, in which everyone thought Eris Landy Lara, like, you know, won that fight, in which I thought he won that fight. That was back in 2011, back in, uh, yeah, back in uh, July 9th. So, yeah, I mean, either way, uh, I mean, there's just been so many, you know, opportunities for Lara to be great, and I mean, he's done everything right to try to get up there i mean 
you know, like we're definitely going to credit him for, you know, him winning his first world title against, um, if I'm not mistaken, he won it against uh, Ishe Smith. Uh, he uh, decisioned him, if I'm not mistaken. And then leading up to that point, uh, he defended it against Delvin Rodriguez, and he unified it, or he unified his belt with Venus. Vanas Matarosian, in which I know that guy, uh, he was that um, Armenian dude that everyone, you know, tried calling him, you know, like the boogeyman at, at one point. But yeah, um, he beat him. Um, he beat him to a 12-round unanimous decision. He got his um, um, IBO belt, you know, sh like like um, taken away from him. Then after that, he uh, KO'd Yuri Foreman, and then uh, leading to that point. Um, Wait, hold on. Yeah, Lara, um, yeah, Arislandy Lara, um, he won his first, yeah, his first title against, um, um, whatchamacallit, yeah, yeah, um, up against Ishe Smith, yep, and then after that, yeah, yeah, so after Yuri Foreman, he fought Terrell Gachet, he beat him, uh, that, uh, that was a very good victory, and then after that, he unified with Jared, Jared Hurd, for his IBF belt, and then that's where the saga, you know, began with him and Brian Castaño, in which he which he had a split decision draw with that that was controversial. And then after that, he won the belt again against uh, Ramon Alvarez, that was Canelo's brother that he knocked out. And then after that, he defended it against Greg Vendetti, and then he moved up to middleweight to face Thomas uh, Lamana for the uh, for the middleweight belt and then and then leading up to now he beat Gary O'Sullivan. Yeah, so I so I mean either way, Arislandy Larry, he's had such a good career. Um I think honestly at this point he just needs to just get in there with like all the big names and and just see what, and just see um uh, uh, um um what happens uh at the end of the day. Um I don't think he can beat a lot of the big names, but I think with guys like Janabek, I think I think he'll give him some problems. Lair is a very very good pure boxer, but I don't see Janabek really finding a way to take that jab away. And I think uh, Lair's uh, uh, defensive reads will definitely give Janabek a lot of problems. But that would be a good fight. Uh, Carlos Adamas, that's a good fight too. Um, if Carlos Adamas ever runs into Larry, because I believe Carlos Adamas, he's pretty ranked high in the WBC or the WBO, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not too sure, but he's definitely up there um, in any of the sanctioned bodies. But uh, leading forward to that, you got Jermel Charlo coming up. That's going to be interesting. Jason Rosario, I believe he's up there. If he's fighting at 160, I'm not too sure, but that's going to be interesting. Austin Williams, he's definitely coming up there very, very fast. He's 26 years old, 11-0, and that's going to be interesting to see what he does heading up into his uh, contender stages of becoming a world championship level uh, candidate contender. So either way, credit to Lara defeating Gary Spike O'Sullivan. So yeah, let's move forward to the main event, and then I got a couple of boxing news for you, and then I want to sign off. Uh, yeah, Tank Davis knocking out, um, like uh, like uh, knocking out uh, um, Rolando Roly Romero.
And, uh, yeah, this is a very, very good victory for Tank. Um, a lot of people thought he was going to lose this fight. People thought Roly was going to be the much more bigger guy, pressing the action, making Tank very, very uh, discomforted. And uh, now Gervonta, he just did his thing, man. He just beat Roly to the punch. He uh, definitely brought him to deep waters, you know, leading up to the knockout or the TKO, however y'all want to, you know, try to slice it. Uh, Roly definitely had a good, decent jab in this fight. Uh, this fight was just more of just like a dirty brawl because Roly, he, he, he really tried so hard to just try to hurt Tank Davis by being dirty in the fight, but... Um, I didn't like. I didn't really see t too many, too many problems that Tank was really. Uh, how should I say? He was ever staggered with. Uh, the biggest issue is just obviously, Roly just being dirty within the certain exchanges, and you know there just like uh, wasn't really any, you know, possible adjustments that Roly could have ever done to make Gervonta, you know, staggered and frustrated. Uh, Roly thought he won all six of the rounds, which made no sense whatsoever. But he obviously th uh, said that because he thought that he was winning. And based off of the scorecards, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I'm really hoping Gervonta wasn't up 3-2. But if I'm not mistaken, yeah, he was uh, up on... Or, wow. Oh my god, wow. Yo, Gervonta on one of the scorecards... Um, according to Kevin Morgan, he was the second out of the three judges, had Gervonta losing by one point, which meant that Roley had to have been winning by one round. Are you kidding me? What? That's stupid. So the first judge, Ron McNair, had it 49-46, Gervonta, and then Kevin Morgan, 47-48, um, like, you know, like, you know, um, for, um, Rolando Romero. And then uh, Robin Taylor had it 48-47, Tank Davis. So, basically, the second judge, I don't know what the hell happened with that. But, <laughs> that yeah, that was pretty, pretty stupid. Uh, I don't know what, what those judges or what that one particular judge was um, seeing in that fight. But, to me, I thought uh, Gervonta leading up to the KO or the TKO or to the stoppage... Um, he was actually, uh, like, um, winning. Um, I, I, I personally had it, like, four rounds, uh, to one. Or, or if you want to be generous, uh, you could score it three rounds to two, um, heading into Gervonta's favor. So, I mean, I wasn't really too, uh, like, uh, surprised and satisfied with, uh, Roley's performance. I thought. I thought either way, he was just gonna get outboxed, and if it had went to the full distance, I mean, Gervonta. Gervonta is probably not gonna lose on the cards anyway. But knowing how people try to act, like to say, like, oh well, knowing that this was his last fight with Mayweather Promotions, which it is, and we don't know what's gonna happen with Gervonta's career, that probably was gonna be like the fight where Gervonta gets robbed, and then Roley, he would have just been talking his talk saying yeah man i won man and blah 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 so like like obviously gervonta gervonta had a point to prove you know he didn't want roley to you know try to you know get get any shine off of his name 
And, I mean, Rolly, he put up a very, very good fight. Um, a lot of people don't want to give him credit for it, but I'll be the first one here on my podcast to uh, give you guys, you know, the, uh, like, enough of the real to say that, you know, I believe Rolly actually, you know, had a good fight with uh, Tank. Uh, I think, surprisingly, he could be... A, he can beat a lot of top guys at the lightweight division. Uh, believe it or not, like I, I think the way he fought, <clears throat> uh, 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 the way he fought Gervonta Davis, <clears throat> that will pose a threat to a guy like George Cambosos. Obviously, I think I think Rowley would sleep him. Isaac Pitbull Cruz, he can definitely knock out. Um, I think Rowley's physique and his walk you down type of style can easily give Cruz problem problems. And I think honestly if, if Roley didn't have Coach Bullet in his corner and let's just say if he had like, you know, Ismael Salas um um in his corner or 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 like a Manny Robles type of fighter or type of like you know type of trainer, he um he would definitely give Tank a much more difficult test, but on top of that, he would be knocking a lot of guys out just by boxing because he has heavy hands. But imagine that, you know, with like a good pure boxing trainer where you don't have to focus on power. You just focus on pure boxing fundamentals. And I think that's something that Roley can can actually branch off of. I think Roley's going to get better. And I think like I think this win that Gervonta got over him, that's going to age very, very well. Because if Roley does plan to stay at 135 for a very long time, don't be surprised if Roley gets matched up with guys like Richard Comey, Jeremiah Nakathila, Jojo, like like uh, Joseph Jojo Diaz, this other Argentinian dude that knocked out Lee Selby, Gustavo Daniel Lemos, which I think Roley's going to, like, I think Roley would stop his ass. I don't, I don't really, like, I'm not too sold on Argentinian fighters, but... For these guys, I haven't really seen too much progression, especially at, at this level when you start just hearing let their names pop up and, you know, all they're doing is just, you know, knocking out guys within their country, but they're not calling for all the smoke out, out, out like, you know, outside of their country. So I think I think Rolly would definitely sleep him. And I think Rolly, I think Rolly's toughest fight out of the entire division or his toughest fights this is just my own personal opinion. He'll have problems with Jermaine Ortiz. Jermaine Ortiz will give Roley a very, very technical boxing lesson. And I think Roley, he will he will have a very, very difficult fight if he can't get his jab going together and actually hurt Jermaine. But I think knowing how Jermaine fought jo- Joseph Adorno, I think Roley would have problems with him. But I think Roley would have a very, very tough fight with Joseph Adorno, in which I would love to see that fight next, if they can make that fight. But if that fight cannot be made, I would also like to see a fight between him and Michelle Rivera. Michelle Rivera, that's a very, very difficult fight for Roley. But if Roley ends up, yeah, and like, like um, if he ends up touching him and, and, and clipping him very, very um, early and fast, he can um, he can easily knock out uh, uh, Michelle um, Rivera, but I would also like to see a fight between him and uh, uh, Miguel Burchell, Jezero Corrales, William Zapata, Frank Martin, uh, Giovanni Cabrera. That's also another good name that I like to see. I think that's a really, really good ass fight. Um, 
I also like to see Angel Fiera. I think Rolly would stop him very, very bad. Um, I also want to mind a fight with Andres Cortez. Um, I'm not too sure if he fights at 135. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's a 130 guy, but, you know, like, why not? Like, I think I think him and Rolly, that, like, you know, that would be a good, you know, style matchup, in my honest opinion. And then, you know, moving forward, I think um, Ryan Garcia, he can, he can definitely beat Ryan Garcia, in my honest opinion. But I don't know how they're going to, you know, have that fight made anytime soon but if that happens it well you know that that would be a good fight i would definitely put my money on roly knocking out ryan garcia and then i would definitely like to see a fight between him and ricardo nunez but i already like i believe he's fighting frank martin uh in the upcoming card on the charlo sulecki card so either way i mean you know frank needs to handle his business with him and then we'll you know talk about that sometime down the road but either way Roly, um he put up a good solid solid effort he just needs to work on his defense and work on his uh, ring iq a bit more but either way you know he doesn't he doesn't really have too much to really lose um if anything his um his name actually still keeps himself trending knowing that he lost to to gervonta davis so i think Roly, he's proven himself to become a public 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 um attraction and he's gonna start drawing in more people to see him and i think now that he fought gervonta davis this win that gervonta got over him it's gonna stem very very well now because if roly does come back and he starts blowing dudes out yeah don't be surprised if roly starts like you know starts leaving coach bullet and then he ends up finding a better trainer sometime down the road and then i think roly you're going to end up seeing him taking over 135 very, very quickly. But either way, this is a very, very good fight. Uh, this is a very, very good sold-out packed arena. Both men put on a show, and Gervonta, he, he, just, he just proved why not a lot of people don't want to fight him. And I'm very proud that Roley had the balls to call out Tank and, and actually you know, make this fight sold. He, uh, he did what he had to do to sell the fight and i think honestly like the biggest you know thing out of this is that this fight was so naturally organic in the build-up and and uh knowing that this fight was supposed to happen back in back in december but just imagine that fight out in los angeles california you know javante versus roley would have been a very very good fight back in december but Knowing that this fight was postponed leading up to now, I think that was a very, very good fight schedule for Gervonta. To to be active within 2021 leading into 2022, um, that's a very, very good active, you know, work like a working schedule. Because now, Gervonta, he needs to be back in the ring as soon as possible. But I think, you know, the next step for him is that He's going to wait this out. He's going to wait until Devin and uh, George Cambosos get their get their business going, you know, this upcoming week, in which I'm going to be talking about that briefly, coming up soon. And then after that, uh, just focus on, you know, preparing for the next fight. Uh, I mean, opponent-wise, I think he should just wait for the winner of Cambosos and, and Haney. So, 
Uh, however that may play out, I think I think uh, like uh, Mr. Um, Gervonta Tank Davis, he you know he's in a good spot right now. So I'm not too sure what's going to happen with his next opponent. I really hope that he uh, ends up leaving Floyd Mayweather, and then uh, Gervonta he can be at that level to do what he needs to do in order to be great. So. I would like to see that out of him. I think he deserves it, and uh, you know he uh, he definitely needs to put himself, you know, on the pedestal at this point where he needs to start fighting all like like all the big names, like Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, uh, fight guys like Vasil Lomachenko, um, fight anybody that sells a big name, and just keep doing that for the rest of your career. So, I think that's what's gonna happen. I don't think Gervonta would, you know, try to leave PBC or Showtime for that. You know, he, you know, he, he obviously is uh, the money man of the division, and I don't see anybody beating him. I personally think Gervonta, he is unbeatable. And at this point, Gervonta, uh, Gervonta has just developed such a good, you know, deciphering style to the point where you can't figure him out now. He's just that good of a fighter. And, and for the people that want to discredit him and disown him, it's like nobody's not pushing for these fights for Gervonta to fight them. And that's really like the biggest issue that I have with with uh, people that call out Tank. If you call him out and you want the fight, then you should be pushing for the fight. And, and you shouldn't be you know, expecting Gervonta to just come to you. You need to come to him. But obviously, you know, the business of boxing is you know, the, the biggest downfall out of these potential matchups that Tank should be in. Because it's like, you know, obviously, like, Tank's opponents are not getting paid super-duper big wealth. But we can obviously tell that the reason why that is how it is is because, honestly, like, I would put the blame on Mayweather. Promotions where Floyd Mayweather, he doesn't want to put in big money for these, like, you know, for these opponents that come in that fight tank so Gervonta is going to just get with the lion's share you know of the uh, cut and whoever fights him you know they're probably only making like 25-30% like now out of that cut or I probably say you know 40% it's probably like a 60-40 split or 75-25 split but either way Roley you know he made good money out of this fight and I mean his name is going to build up a lot faster and, and I don't think this loss really broke him I think if anything it, it, it like it actually garnered more skill in him because he understands how tank fights now but just to get that experience that kind of just upgrades his skill set to a whole nother level and I think that's something that not a lot of people want to talk about because Roley he's a very very dedicated fighter he you know he lives in like he lives and dies you know by the gym you know, in boxing, so that's something that I would have to give Roley a lot of credit for because uh, he's not like one of these fighters that are just ignorant and stupid. And the reason why that I say that is because um, I um, I actually know a fighter that's uh, connected to him, and uh, that fighter t t told me, you know, behind closed doors, you know, stating that. Um, but that Roley is a heavily dedicated fighter, and uh, he puts himself, you know, like you know, um, in a very, very 
a focused state of mind where he where he is not playing around and he puts himself in a good position where he wants to win. So that's something that I have to respect out of him. And um, um, honestly, like I really hope that um, he continues to keep doing bigger and uh, better things. Because uh, I don't think Roley is garbage. I think Roley, he, he has, you know, deficiencies. But I think the biggest issue why is because, one, um, it's not because he started boxing late. It's because that he, um, he needs, like, a better team that prioritizes his skill set. And then he's able to do the things that he wants to do. So, therefore, if he's able to find or if he's able to have a good trainer that does that for him, I think Roley can easily win. So, yeah, either way, I think Roley's going to end up progressing his career with more bigger, you know, high-key um, high wins. So, that's pretty much it for that. And credit to Tank Davis, man. That, that, that was a good, highly credible victory. Now, moving forward with the boxing news, uh, we obviously are going to cover on... Devin Haney and George Cambosos uh, fight fight week prediction. I think Devin's just going to. Um, I think he's going to style on George Cambosos. I think Devin's already a bad style matchup for George Cambosos, and I don't see Cambosos really teeing off on Devin Haney. And I think Devin Haney's pure boxing ring IQ is just going to give George Cambosos like all the trouble in the world. And I won't be surprised if Cambosos uh, he ends up just you know, giving up um, in the later portion of the uh, rounds. But I personally think Devin's going to stop him. I think uh, Devin Devin's going to hurt him very bad to the point where Cambosos, he's just going to end up folding very early because Devin does have uh, the height and reach and size advantage over him. So I think uh, Devin, he's going to gain a lot more you know, progression in the fight itself. And uh, I think, honestly, um, the biggest, uh, like, uh, the biggest thing out of this is, is that Devin has so much to prove because he doesn't have his family with him, supporting him. So the only people that are really there, being there for him, are the people that do care about him, that are there with him in Australia. And, uh, you know, I'll be the first one here to say that if Devin pulls off, you know, the major upset victory, in which I wouldn't call this a upset, it would just be a historical win for black American boxing, historically. Um, it's very, very similar to the level of Jack Johnson versus uh, Tommy Burns. For those of you that don't know, Jack Johnson, he was a former uh, black heavyweight, or he was the very first ever uh, black American heavyweight champion of the world that had defeated Tommy Burns back in um, Australia back in the early uh, 1900s, if I'm not mistaken, or no, late 1800s leading into the early 1900s. But basically, what happened was that role that um, that that Jack Johnson he he, uh, um, he won the title over there, and then he brought the title back over to the United States, and then that's where his saga. You know, continued where he got good, highly credible wins, but then I think he got cheated out by Tommy Burns in the rematch, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, let me just take a look at Jack Johnson's box rec, and uh, I can easily explain that to you guys. 
um, Jack Johnson, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yep, he's out, he's had over 76 fights. He's only been stopped six times, but yeah, uh, he uh, fought for the world heavyweight title. This was back in what era? Yeah, he he beat Stanley Kentel back in 1909. But I'm but I'm trying to think about the other the other guy that he fought. Yeah, like was it Tommy Burns? Yeah, it was Tommy Burns, right? Uh, Marvin Hart, Joe Janet. Hold on, I'm I, I'm trying to <laughs> yeah, like I'm trying to find out like, the fight that he that he was in. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. Ba 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 ba. Johnson, Joe Jeanette. Johnson defends world color heavyweight title. Uh, was it Kid Felix? No, no, no. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, he um he had he had other titles at 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 certain points in times, but leading up to the very first ever like world heavyweight title that was not a sanctioned title at that time frame. Um, he beat Tommy Burns for the world heavyweight title, and that was in a twenty rounder uh, back in nineteen oh eight, in which uh, oh wait, actually no, he actually outpointed him, right? Yeah, did he? Yeah, yeah, he actually um, outpointed him. Yeah, well, that's what it said, but it said bout halted by the police per prior agreement, decision awarded by the yeah yeah so. He basically, dis yeah, he basically decisioned him, but they both wore four-ounce gloves, and yeah, but the bout just basically got stopped during, uh, during the fight by the police. So, <laughs> yeah, so Jack Johnson, he, uh, he just beat the crap out of Tommy Burns. <laughs> wow, man, yeah, Tommy Burns, he wasn't even from Australia; he was from Canada. So, yeah, that was crazy. But yeah, after that, three or four times during the mix-up, yeah, yeah, after that he fought Philadelphia Jack O'Brien, some other white dude that no one really cared cared so much about of, but he had a very, very stacked, you know, record, uh, 144, 10, and 24. <laughs> yeah, but after that, uh, he went to a draw, or I guess that was like a no contest on a six-rounder. Same thing with Tony Ross, and then after that, he beat Al, Al Kaufman, Stanley Ketchell, James James Jeffries that that was like one of the biggest fights ever. He knocked him out really really bad. I know that, but that was a very very tough fight. That was like a forty five rounder at you know at that time, and then he had a DQ win over Fireman Jim Jim Flynn, and then he had a draw with Battling Jim Johnson, and then he had two back to back wins over Frank Moran Jack Murray, and then he lost to Jess Willard. Uh, to which he actually held his heavyweight world heavyweight title all the way from uh, 1908 all the way to yeah wow 1915 wow Jack Johnson he's a beast wow he's a beast he held his title from 1908 yeah from 1908 to 1915 Jesus wow Jack Johnson is a monster. But yeah, I mean Jack, like uh, Jack Johnson, you know he definitely went down to be uh, one of the greatest fighters ever, definitely all time great. But that's how this fight really is between Devin and George. Uh, it has uh, the same similar vibe, 
and uh, yeah, that's just something that I'm very proud of seeing. Uh, definitely, um, knowing that this fight is in Australia, and if Devin comes out blazing hot and he does what he does best, uh, I definitely think Devin will get a decision. But knowing how Australian judges are and their corrupt nature of how they sanction fights out there, I don't really, you know, trust what the judging out there. But I think Devin he uh, he has a chip on his shoulder where he really needs to start doing very very well all 12 rounds in, in, in order for him to win. So, yeah, that's pretty much it for that. And then finally, I just wanted to touch base on the David Benavidez, David Morrell situation. Uh, David Morrell, he's been very, very aggressively calling out David Benavidez, telling him after I handle my business with uh, Calvin Henderson, I'm going to make you my bitch and all that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, like I just find it very, very funny that... Uh, David Morrell's doing that because uh, he's a very, very good Cuban super middleweight world champion himself, in which he holds the WBA regular title, uh, which people will call that a secondary title, which I don't call that to be a secondary. A belt is a belt, according to these weird casuals. But uh, either way, um, he is the WBA regular champion, and... I guess by the WBA's rules, you can petition to go for the WBA Super if they can make you a mandatory challenger or a voluntary defense challenger to the, you know, to the current super unified, you know, world champion, i.e. Canelo Alvarez, who is undisputed at 168. So, I think uh, either way, Canelo... Um, I don't really see him facing uh, David Morrell, but I think at the time frame, or at at like like at this time frame now, David Morrell wants to fight David Benavides, so that way he can take him out and he can solidify himself to to become a big name in the sport. But David Benavides, he has a lot of climbing to do, and I think uh, the biggest issue is is that. Canelo Alvarez, um, he has a very, very big um, issue in front of him in which uh, he's deciding to go the easy route to fight Triple G, a guy that that nobody never wanted to see him fight in a trilogy in which uh, everyone said Canelo arguably beat him in the second fight and uh, Canelo doesn't need to fight Triple G again. So, therefore, uh, Triple G, he arguably lost and he needs to move on. But Canelo decided to, you know, fight fight uh, Triple G after he got his butt whooped by by Dimitri Bivol. So this is a fight where Canelo's obviously doing it just to keep away from all the other dangerous talent over at 175. So uh, 168 seems to be in a very very dark spot, and I really hope that uh, the sanctioned bodies just end up stripping Canelo. Because if they're not going to do their job and actually enforce the rankings, uh, I, I honestly, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Canelo just ends up vacating and then he's not going to really end up fighting anybody special. He's just going to end his career fighting guys that we haven't heard of before. And then he's just going to end up going for world titles in, like, cruiserweight or something like that. You know, like, I just won't be surprised if Canelo does it because... Canelo's not daring to be great. He's just daring to be lame and be 
and being, you know, being being a coward. And I just don't like that out of him. I think Canelo can do better, but I don't trust Canelo and I don't like him. So that doesn't matter to me. But at, at, at the end of the day, it's like you are supposed to be the face of boxing, but you're fight, but you're facing a guy that no one that no one gave two craps about. So either way, uh, Canelo he uh, he has more to lose in notoriety versus David Morrell. He wants to come up in there and he wants to dominate everybody um, in the division. So. I think David Morrell, he um, he's in a good spot right now. Um, he obviously has a very very sturdy test in front of him, and Calvin Henderson, who had recently uh, lost to Isaiah Steen in, in the past, and I think leading up to that point, uh, ever since that loss, he uh, gotten a win um, over some guy that I haven't heard of before. But after that, uh, he he, uh, he just kind of just been on a like, you know, decent win column for him to win. I mean, he's only had one win leading up to, you know, the fight with David Morrell. I don't really appreciate this fight being made because I, I, I felt like Isaiah Steen should have gotten the opportunity to fight David Morrell, not Calvin Henderson. But I guess uh, that's how the PBC works if they just want to just put guys in there with anybody that they think of. And I think... You know, that's why matchmaking sucks in boxing, because it's like the matchmaking doesn't go by the resume and go by who beat who, and, and you know, everybody should just be forced to fight each other, you know, like, uh, there shouldn't be any cut corners for you to, like, get away from any big fight, so, either way, that's pretty much it, that's pretty much what I have to say, uh, I got pretty much everything off of, like, my chest, and, uh, yeah, um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I guess one last thing that i like to say is um, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, um, they're almost coming close to the end of negotiations. We already heard what Spence said to Crawford. Uh, you know, look, I got my sign of what the contract signed. So at this point, according to Errol Spence, he said to Terrence Crawford, all he needs to do is just sign his portion of, of the contract. So... My message to you, Terrence Crawford, you better sign that contract and um, like it's time to get the showdown, you know, on the road. So hopefully we get to see that fight at the end of the year. Obviously, Canelo Triple G is in September, but I think uh, honestly they should fight in September, like you know, just like a week after. I think like maybe like by like September, you know, twenty fourth or twenty something. But I'm not too sure. Honestly, like, you know, I understand what they, like, you know, like, what the PBC, um, like, obviously wants to do. They want to try to get that fight be made on, on the, like, you know, like, at least, like, like at least on the same day of Sugar Ray Leonard versus uh, Tommy Hearns, if I'm not mistaken, or Marvin Hagler versus Tommy Hearns. Like, basically, they're trying to make it, like, a historical date, but... If they could do it, something like that, I wouldn't mind it. But if they could do it sometime in October, that's fine too. Just make sure that the uh, that the fight's not overdue, and you know, make sure that the fight's made so that way Terence Crawford and Errol Spence they're primed and ready to fight each other. So that's pretty much it um, as far as uh, David Morrell's case. Um, yeah, him and him and Calvin Henderson, uh, they'll be. Uh, I think David's like the co-main event, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for this fight. 
with uh, Calvin Henderson. Uh, he'll be fighting on the um, um, on the um, whatchamacallit. He'll be fighting on the cool boy Steph. Uh, Stefan Fulton versus Daniel Roman um, fight card. But either way, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. That's going to be a very, very good, you know, good little scrap. And uh, I think I think um, I think Stefan Fulton's going to beat him very very convincingly to the point where he's just going to end up you know winning very very uh, like a very very um, smoothly. So I think either way, uh, both David Morrell and uh, and uh, Stefan Fulton they're going to show out um, um, in that fight. So yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Be sure to uh, let me know in the comments of what you guys think of this uh, fight week for Devin Haney and George Cambosos, and I'll come back with like another episode sometime soon. And then I have more content, boxing wise and gaming wise, for the channel, and I'll probably come back uh, come back on here for video game content. I never really come come on here to talk about video games. It's mostly going to be sports, but if I ever do. Don't be surprised, because for all you gamers out there, I have a lot to say uh, um, um, about the uh, gaming industry and the IT industry. So, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. I'll see you guys later. Uh, salute to the mighty, mighty LDBC. And thank you and thank you very much for this uh, great episode made by yours truly, Kiernan Rodriguez. Yep, and I'm out, man. Thank you. Bye.